0: Let's have a sincere conversation about events across the nation and topics for our own morality. Let's openly discuss in an environment of trust where perception is reality. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast Perception is Reality. It is David, your host, and today I'm excited to having join me, uh, my friend, Dean Parker, who is a serial entrepreneur, a motivational speaker, and a philanthropist. Dean, thank you for joining the call today.
1: David, it's wonderful. Who thought uh, seven years ago when we met, we'd be here one day, but uh, what a wonderful way God intertwines the past to uh, lead us to different versions of success.
0: I agree. I agree, and uh, I'm very thankful to have you in my life as a friend, a co-worker, and mentor. And to anybody's listening to the podcast, I say this for all my guests that I know very well and I really respect. I don't care if it sounds like I'm kissing anybody's butt. I truly believe what I said and I stand by it.
1: <laughs> well, I do too. And as you know, we may have talked about this years ago. I, I believe in a circle of mentorship. Everybody thinks mentorship goes one way and they look at it like you know, student teacher, I think mentorship is really a circle and it, it revolves around. And the greatest example I have that is a good friend of mine named Dr. Mark Foley. He's the president or was the president for 20 years of the University of Mobile, uh, you know, a couple thousand small liberal arts university that I was on the board of trustees on. And he took a risk on a 30-year-old man taking care of some communications with him for the university. And it turned out then Almost two years later, I was asked to be on the board of trustees. Eight years later, he said, Dean, I've learned as much from you as you've learned from me. It's just different areas. We have expertise, and we've got to remember to keep that circle going so everyone uh, gets healthy and has productive lives. So we continue to increase the knowledge shared around uh, the globe.
0: I agree, and I do like that aspect of you as you're very willing to share that knowledge, and uh, be open to other knowledge, which is integral in today's topic. So today we're going to talk about success and some of the pitfalls of success. Um, And and you are incredibly successful, and I know that there's one adage that reminds me of you when I think about it is the reward for good work is more work, but with more work can come Certain pitfalls, hidden pitfalls, I like to say. People don't understand. They think that success um, is an easy road, but I think that's a perception that I'd like to bust. I think that you've worked very hard for your success, and looking at you and as a person, Dean, it, it just honestly, you do make it look easy. And I don't mean that in a negative way. You make it look easy and you're very successful, but it can't have been easy.
1: It is never an easy journey. Um, maybe I can step back and give some cycles of how I got here, if that would be okay back the I, I would
0: love that. backstory. helps the bigger picture, and, and I want you to take us on that journey if you don't mind.
1: Uh, happy to do that for you. I think it really goes back to when I was in high school. Uh, I was a senior in high school, and at that time, um, my wife was at uh, it was a year ahead of me, and she was at a college in Northwest Pennsylvania called Grove City College. She was an All-American swimmer. And one of the things that came up um, in that journey was we had started talking. We had started thinking about um, this college she was at. And I really wanted to go to this college called Grove City College. And I'll never forget. I applied for early admission. I was going to play basketball there. It was all set up. On paper, I had everything. I was... You know, president of student government. I had been an officer of my class. I played sports at the varsity levels. I was involved in nonprofits, and and I done everything you could possibly do, as well as having a 3.8 out of 4.0. Of those days, we didn't have honors and all those programs when I was in school. Um, 3.8 out of a 4.0 GPA. So I had everything you could possibly have that you have worked hard for, and I'll never forget. I applied for early admission. I don't get in applied for regular admission and I didn't get in. And they said I was on a wait list and I was devastated. So what does any person that has a little bit of a piss and vinegar in them does? I was 18 years old. I got in a car and I drove from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh to Grove City College, six and a half hours. Went to meet with the head of admissions. And I said, please look at everything. Tell me what's going on. This is where I want to be. This is where I want to go to school. I should be able to get here. And he looked at me after studying everything. He said, Dean, God doesn't want you here. He's got another journey for you, and I was crushed. So I got in the you know I got in the car, drove all the way back home. Didn't know where I was going to go. Was looking at some Villanova University, and then a flyer showed up called Liberty University Jerry Falwell School. And my dad and I said, well, let's go check that out. They had a thing called College for a Weekend. We went down there, and as we went down there, it was interesting. The president or the dean of the school of business was a former regional president uh, of IBM and we were so impressed. I said, this is where I'm going to go. So spur of the moment, I signed the papers, committed, and decided I was going to Liberty University. Got there and wanted to play basketball, but they were Division One. I. I was good enough to play Division Three. I wasn't good enough to play Division One, and realized that that wasn't, the, that wasn't where I was going to go with my life. So I turned around and, and literally um, focused on, on school and said I wanted to get out and make money and figure that next journey of my life out. So I, I did four years of school in three and was getting married and was headed to Silicon Valley. At uh, that time, Yahoo and a company called Industry International, software companies, they were all booming in San Francisco. And I decided that's where I wanted to go. But I, had to, I was getting married. My wife had to finish her student teaching fall of 96. So I went in and decided to sell cars. So you know the way I look at this is uh, you know, first place I didn't get to led me to this next spot, which I didn't know where I was. And I I actually have a theme. I taught this is your one decision away from breakthrough because I had the decision to pack up my cards and not go, you know, where I know I was meant to be. And instead of looking at other options, go to a community college, just do something local. I I stand focused on going to to Liberty and did that really well with selling cars. The way I came about selling cars was I walked into the office and there was a guy that owned it. He was a tall black man that was an offensive lineman for the Detroit Lions in the seventies and eighties named Jim Mitchell. An interviewed with him and he asked me the question, is this a stop in the road or is this a career for you selling cars? And I said, depends on how much money I make. I left and my cell phone rang 30 seconds later and they said I had the job. Led, I was number two in car sales and a guy walks on the lot November 30th. Um, I'll never forget his wife was having some minor surgery done. His name was Kevin Demery and I sell him a car. And I just this guy was 36 years old. I remember like it was yesterday. He was high energy and I just thought, there's something different about this guy. So I told him, I said, take the Explorer, pick your wife up, come back tomorrow, and we'll do a deal on the car. And I took his Mercedes and washed it all up, had it in the back waiting on him. He showed back up, and he knew I was a salesman because I said, Do you want running boards with that Explorer? And he said, I don't know. I said, Well, let me tell you why you need them. And he backed his uh, two Explorers up, one with running board, one without running boards. And his daughter, which is now out of college, at uh, that time was five years old. Walks up to the car and she climbs up on the running boards and gets in, no problem. She gets to the other Explorer and she was like a beach whale and couldn't get on the car. So she come back off that and he goes, okay, I'm going to take the running boards. You're a good salesman. And we're walking back to get his car and he says, are you really going to sell cars for your life? I said, no, sir. He said, well, how much money are you making? I said, I think I'm making $70,000 this year. And I said, you're going to continue that? I said, that's my plan. He said, well, come interview with me. I work for a company called General Electric. And I went and interviewed. Through that, selling a car, I got offered the opportunity of a lifetime. And within 24 months, I was a uh, director running a $130 million sales division and had, had been really blessed um, to do that. And I think that that step would never have happened if I had pushed so hard to get what I thought I wanted so bad, which is go to school at Grove City College. Instead, another door opened up and it became the opportunity of a lifetime because. I don't know many 24-year-olds that are head of sales for 124 million-dollar division, or uh, 180 million-dollar division at 24, for a Fortune 500 company. So you never quite know the road that's going to take you. And what I thought was a failure turned out to be a success. Uh,
0: I love that story, and I have heard that story. Uh, spoiler alert for for the listeners, but I'm so glad you told that story because there were, I haven't heard it in a while. There's parts that uh, I just like to hear. So I'm glad about that. Um, Other than the one sidestep with Liberty University, I mean, it had to be difficult. You're you're talking about as a car salesman, it's not your life's dream. There had to be other choices that were difficult or, or hard decisions to make um, because I know you, and, and you just described to us in great detail how much you're driven to succeed. It's it's impressive. So, the, what was there anything else that were, was there ever a time during that that you maybe felt a little down and you had to just buck up and push on?
1: You know, multiple times because you know when you going down a road that doesn't have certainty, it's very uncertain, and you don't know why. And let me kind of explain to you why. When I'm selling cars, I thought, why am I selling cars? I just finished school in three years, and I was headed to Silicon Valley. But I didn't know that this opportunity to come, and whatever job I would have gotten in Silicon Valley probably didn't match what I got the opportunity to learn at uh, General Electric and Ericsson very early on in my career. So, yeah, so you had to push through because you just didn't know. It. It's like the unknown. And sometimes if you embrace the unknown, opportunities opportunities come out of it. Versus a lot of people tend to cower at the unknown. I'm at an unknown spot right now. and We'll kind of, I'm sure come to this, but you know, I have a family office, so we have investments and those kind of run themselves past that. You know, I've gone through an, a turnaround and it uh, didn't, wasn't, didn't all the way make it. And we've had to sell the, the parts of it. I've sold a couple companies. I'm now at a point in my life at 44 that I have a blank sheet of music and I know you're a musician and I'm ready to write my next song. And so when you're, when you're ready to write your next song, you have to embrace the change, take a deep breath, and then go investigate the opportunities. A lot of people fret and worry, and when they have so much emotional energy in their mind around fret and worry, they can't see the opportunities that are right in front of them. That's why I say you're one decision away from a breakthrough, but not many people take that next step to get that decision point.
0: And I was going to get to... The blank sheet of music in in a moment but i'm and, and i don't want you to think that i'm not going to bring no, that up no no, no, no I, I think i think i want to focus just for a second because somebody who's had so much success i think people reach these career plateaus like you could have easily reached a couple career plateaus and people sometimes fall into um maybe a despair maybe a this is it for me kind of thing or i don't know or, and I don't know how to get from point A to point B. And you've, you've done that. And I think you, you did touch on it briefly, like you have to embrace the unknown. But to those people listening, how do they motivate themselves to get to that next level? To maybe sometimes you have to take a step back to take a step forward. You've illustrated that clearly. Sometimes it's a lateral. Sometimes it's two jumps forward, like you, you jumped twice, twice forward. You've done all of, all of those things. How would you help? How? What advice would you give to any listener who's thinking maybe, you know, I've reached a certain level. I don't know what to do from here. How do they motivate themselves or what can they do to to, to follow?
1: So I think it's a, there are a couple steps that I take in my life when you're going through that. Number one, you know, I'll share at the end of this, I have like some uh, principles that I think about. The first thing I think about is, when one door closes, another door opens, and the only way that door will open for you is by you listening. And what I mean by listening is that's, not about, that's about you choosing to sit and be peaceful. When chaos happens, the first thing people do is they don't sit. They tend to react, and reaction typically causes bad decisions. So if you've heard this statement, emotional reactions – done quickly typically lead to bad decisions. So what I would say is the first thing I do in my principles is to look at the door that's shut and look at the doors that are around me. Secondly, is I always go to people that I have great respect for. It could be mentor, it could be friends, it could be people that have a like-minded to the way you think out of the world and and have achieved and accomplished something. And I ask them what lens do they look through this? Because some, the old adage, glass half full or glass half empty. And if you think about it, you also got to think through business. David, you've been a part of so many businesses and you've been success, wildly successful in your, own, in your own career, in your own path. You know this, that sometimes what we think is a failure is really the opportunity for us to succeed if we see it. So let me step back and explain to my own journey a little further down and how that uh, played out. If I can do that with, I have your permission for that.
0: Absolutely.
1: So, you know, so I'm, I'm selling cars. I go to uh, Ericsson GE that sold Ericsson the guy that hired me six months after I was there, he tells me he's leaving because um, senior management is gone because Ericsson has purchased us. That could have been devastating to me. Oh no, I've lost all the people that were my protection. They're all gone. I embraced it as the, as the, the ability to move the chess pieces forward. And with that, that's how I was able to move up three, four steps on a corporate ladder from a salesman to a marketing manager, to a manager of indirect distribution, to the director. I couldn't have done that if the, if the, if the pieces hadn't changed, if the puzzle pieces had not changed to open that opportunity. Secondly, when I was 24 years old, um, you think about music and we're on a theme here. There's a country song that says heads, California tails, Uh, Carolina by Joe D. Messina. Are you familiar with that?
0: I absolutely am.
1: Okay. Well, that song, I never forget my wife and I was our theme song when we were moving to Alabama. I'll tell you how we got to Alabama, but it was a theme song because I was offered the opportunity to take a job in a different step in my career and move out to uh, Oregon, which is our California or stay in Virginia or move to Alabama. And we were literally at this coin toss. And what I realized was, when the opportunity came to change again, and I could move forward, I talked to my customers. And I talked to my customers, and I said, you know, I'm thinking about this. They want me to move over here. And Tom Sharp Jr. in Huntsville, Alabama said to me, well, I'm in the paging business. Why don't you get in the paging business? I said, who uses beepers? And he said, I have 200000 a month in cash flow with four employees in this little business. Everybody uses beepers. And so we researched it, and I thought I had five years left. We only ended up having two. But... Long story short, my opportunity to become an entrepreneur came out of talking to my customer. So, have those conversations is principle one with your, with your co- customers, with your peers, with people you respect because opportunities come out of conversations. So, I ended up moving to Mobile, Alabama, borrowed $300,000, started the company. The company did really well the first year. And then Christmas of 2000, everything crashed because cheap cell phones came out and people no longer wanted pagers. So I'm now not selling, I'm losing $20,000 a month, which to me was an, a massive amount those days, and I don't know what to do. So I'll never forget, the opportunity was the big, com- the big customers couldn't take care of the big hospitals, the big carrier. excuse me, couldn't take care of the big customers being the hospitals. So I went in and I secured the hospital saying, I'm a local guy that will take care of you, you don't have to worry about uh, dealing with a big company anymore. And that worked out great, and that secured the company financially so we could at least for a break even. Then when paging started dying again, I searched around, searched around, went to Tom Sharp's real good friend, Chuck Moffin in Tupelo, Mississippi, and said, hey, trying to figure out the next thing. What are you looking at? He said, hosted voiceover IP. And I said, what's voiceover IP? And he explained it with broadband. You can make phone calls. This is how it works. And I got so excited. This is a the business is needed this. So I went back to my customers and said, all right, customers. What do you need? And they said, well, we have a phone company, local, we have a long distance, we have an internet company, we have somebody doing IT. Isn't there a way to do it all? And that's when the model came out to be a hosted phone carrier and and that worked out really well for a couple months and then I hit another roadblock. The roadblock was the equipment cost money. People are like, why do I wanna pay money? My phone system works. So I then said, scratched my head again, and said to the customer, what would make you do this? He said, my customer said, I would do it if it was free. So I then said, okay how about you give me six months of your service prepaid and I'll put the equipment in. So that way I cover the cost of the equipment and then I can provide the service long term, which had a higher gross margin. And through each one of these turning paths, what what I discovered was I turned to my customer. I turned to my peers. I asked the questions and through asking those questions is where the opportunities came out through the process. And that's where the things happen. So then you get to, Fast forward, we're now uh, around 2004, and we had, we had had a company we, uh, we had called Greenpath Networks. We had bought this phone switch. We were doing it, and we were traveling all over the country thinking, oh, no, we could, we're going to get all the big customers, to, people that built phone systems to resell with us to do this, and we're going to build a nationwide company. Did that for a year, failed miserably. No one would adopt the new technology. So it's Christmas of 2004. I'm back home. I'm devastated. I now have double the debt that I had before and I don't know what to do. So I said, you know what? What would happen if I just knocked on doors and sold locally? And I did it. And that's how we built the company up until when we sold it. And there's a lot of revisions, but I hope you can see how each of those failures, following the principles of when one door closes, another door opens, listen to your customers, they tell you what they need, find the solution people need in business, and then pursue it is how you can follow a framework um, to help you figure out what's next for you
0: that's an awesome story. And I appreciate you telling that. I learned some things about you that I hadn't known or more information. And it's a good illustration to everybody that there is opportunity out there if you're willing to seek it. The takeaway, if I could sum it up, what my takeaway from all of that was, which is helping me, is that you have to be able to have that conversation externally with peers, colleagues, and Clients, if you have them, but internally with yourself. And internally with yourself, the one question that I heard you repeat a couple times was, What would happen if? That's correct. And you, you asked yourself that. I feel like if I'm picturing you, I can picture you uh, pacing in your living room, asking yourself, What would happen if? And then finish the question. And then I can see you coming up with some answers. And then what would happen if I did this? And then we now know that led to multiple successes. That question over time, in difficult situations, the what would happen if, because if you don't ask, you don't know. That's correct. That's that I give an analogy to um, some people that uh, I, I coach. And I always ask them, if if you don't, Ask, you'll never know the answer. And there was, um, I use a small, uh, a non-business-related example where I'm talking about this time I went to a restaurant and there was a special. Um, there were two specials. One was like a, a manicotti, and the other one was a uh, like a chicken parm. But I wanted both, and I was like, if I didn't ask the waitress, hey, can I just have one roll of manicotti and maybe half a chicken cutlet? It's a horrible example to everybody that's not exactly what was on the menu, but you get the point. I, if I didn't ask the waitress, and I would have never known, I would have always wanted to know the answer. Oh, well, you know, maybe I could have done this or that, and I would have had to pick one and missed out. But I didn't. I asked the question, and I got half a serving of each, and life was good. I, I left that meal full and satisfied. And I think that meal is representative of life and business and that if you ask yourself questions or if you're not afraid to ask a question, you can have a full and satisfying life or career.
1: Yeah, It does. It, you're exactly right. You know, it, it go back to, you know, my faith it means a lot to me. You know, the Bible talks a lot about you have not because you ask not. How many people never got it because they didn't ask?
0: That's a very good question. Uh, that's a very good question. I was talking to... Uh, somebody today about the secret uh, and the science behind luck. And I was explaining to him that luck can be created because of the way uh, your perception. And again, this is about perception is reality. So the perception that we find is that somebody like you who is looking for opportunity will find opportunity. Somebody who is looking for failure will find failure. Um, when I take your example and I go through your history of everything you just said, there were several points in there where there was a failure, uh, and somebody who is on a negative mindset would see that failure and only see the failure, but somebody who has an opportunistic mindset, AKA luck, they see opportunity and luck. The person who feels lucky, uh, and they find a penny here, or they find a dollar there laying on the road is because they're looking for those things and they are lucky, um, I'm not to say that you've been lucky. Lucky is intangible. You've been successful. You're an opportunist, meaning you see opportunity and positivity. Therefore, that's what you're going to constantly see versus a negativity. And I'm not taking away from the biblical aspect by any means. Um, I have faith myself. Make make your own success. Exactly. And I, I think that that's a good illustration of that.
1: You know, the other thing I would tell you is, if I can bring it back to the principle we talked about, the circle of mentorship. Mm-hmm. Let me it back to you, remember the guy that sold me the car, Kevin Demery.
0: <laughs> my, you, for you those know? for those listening, Kevin was my roommate.
1: Yep, that's um, where I was going. Yep. But think about what happened. If Kevin left, went off, he for after leaving Erickson, he actually went to work for the company my father ran, called Indus International, one of the companies that I was looking to go be work at out of college. He went off, did that, moved back to Detroit, became an entrepreneur, started his own company. Unfortunately, market damnistics sometimes don't work in your favor. It didn't work out for him. After 10 years, he folds up shop, and what's he do? He calls me, and I said, You know what? This young guy that sold your car, needs a vice president of product management. I need you to come put my product uh, together to scale this company. So he moves, so he gets on a plane, comes down to the interviews, decides to take the job, and then he turns around. And he moves his family here. And I don't know if you ever tell – did he ever tell you what happened the day he, he moved here? I, uh, bring, I was taking him to a, a – we were going to a, a nonprofit or a, a gala, basically. We had donated some money to go to a nice dinner. Uh-huh. I take his hand. He said, hey – he goes, Donna didn't feel like it. She's back at the condo till our house is ready. Get over there. Right. I said, great. I got good news, and I got good news. He said, well, what's the good news? He said, I said, I just signed to sell the company. <laughs> I go, what the hell? I just moved my family here. So, the other good news is you're getting a percentage of the, of the company. He goes, That's the best news I've heard in a while. He goes, Let's do this. And he stayed around and it all, it all worked out. But my point is, you never know because who would ever thought the guy that hired me, that was the big wig at General Electric when I was the nobody, then spins around and I'm able to give him an opportunity. He came and worked with us um, and also was your uh, music buddy and, 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 and roommate for a little while.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, that's, I did not, uh, he hasn't told me that, but I think I did know that, I think one of, well, maybe he did, maybe you did, old age and memory fell, um, but it's still a good story, and it plays into something that uh, you'd call it the circle of mentorship, but it's also about paying it forward, and you, you've you done that a couple times, uh, well, more, if, if I don't mean to diminish no, more than a couple of times. All good. Um, I, I think people really need to do that more if they give themselves again, this is my perception of how to create luck and how to get in a good cycle is that if you're willing to pay these actions forward, um, good things will come your way, almost like a karmic cycle. Um, I talk about my coaching career quite a bit. One thing that I would like to publicly state is that i've never accepted a penny for any coaching advice that I give um, at all i I, I enjoy it uh, and I, I do it for free willingly. Um, but good things have come from that uh, in in general so that's that's I think that plays into your circle uh, because I don't think that you've ever unwillingly or held back when somebody's asked you for anything
1: no we love people that's the key give give all you can give i'll never forget one of our general managers before i got to my my version of general electric was john can't remember his last name uh well it was casey or, or or one of them but he then went to be the ceo of stanley tools and i remember when he was the ceo of stanley tools he used to say the thing he says hey give all our competitors our recipe to success because being able to read a recipe and be able to cook a meal are two different things. And just because you have the recipe doesn't mean you're able to cook the meal.
0: That's absolutely true. That is absolutely true. One thing I'd like to come back to and then uh, draw it to a close, because I've taken up a lot of your time today, is the sheet, the blank sheet of music. One aspect or one pitfall of success is there comes a point when somebody like yourself who has been quite successful reaches this point where now you're looking at a blank page. And I don't think people, and maybe a pitfall is the wrong word to look at, but I think people just perceive that there's a constant flow. I don't think they understand that there's a creativity involved in that next leap, that next jump. So one would think, wow, here's Dean Parker. He's actually struggling with, he is even struggling with what to do next. So can you walk us through, like, what what are you going to, I mean, you kind of did walk us through, like, the what would happen if, but now you're looking at a complete blank slate. How? What's the reinvention process look like?
1: So I've been here before, and I think, you know, one of the things to remember is and let me just step back to another example, if we can have another like, couple minutes of your time. Yeah. I think it'll be important to remember is, you know, I sold the company and then after that, I took some time off and I got a call the day I agreed to sell the company, which was about a year, about a year uh, and a half ahead of time. And Gary Palmer, which is, which is now the Congressman in uh, Birmingham, Alabama at that time ran a nonprofit, the think tank. Oh. And he called and says, Hey, would you do me a favor and would you send uh, your plane to pick up either Dr. Ben Carson or Bobby, Governor Jindel out of Louisiana? I said, well, you know, I've always wanted to meet Ben Carson. And I said, I read his books as a kid because my senior year I was one point short of all A's and my principal said, if you read, think big and gifted hands by Dr. Ben Carson, then I will give you that extra point. And he did. And I did it. And he did. And I put the books on the shelf, never thought about. So then, so this is how, Opportunity works. I'm literally have made the deal verbally to sell the company. No one knows about it. We're going to start the process the same day because I landed in Austin, Texas to pick up Dr. Ben Carson. I make the deal. I walk and shake his hand for two hours. We have the best conversation headed to Birmingham. We land and he says, Dean, here's my cell phone. Here's my email. By the way, I think God's going to do something great through us one day. I never think twice about it. He invites, uh, I get an email from Candy, which is his wife, inviting my wife and I down to a nonprofit gala. We get there. There's a thousand people in the room. I tell my wife, he probably won't remember me. He not only remembers us, he invited us to a a party the next day. We show up at the party. We think there's going to be a hundred people there. There was five people. His best friend, the chairman of his nonprofit, him and his wife, uh, the founder of Calvin Klein and myself. And at midnight that night, I'm playing pool. My wife's singing and playing the piano with his wife, and a relationship was pushed. Next thing I know, I get a call from him saying, would you like to be a part of the campaign? And we, we kind of talked about what I would do. I, he's at my house because two years before he had signed a, a speaking engagement to speak for the University of Mobile, he's at my house spending the night that night, and he asked me to take on a role which three days later I accepted of being chairman of finance, uh, the national finance chairman for the, his presidential campaign, which is one of the top two people on the campaign. I go from never being in politics to a week later being on CNN, asked that I'm an expert on raising money politically, which I hadn't done. So like anything else, I say that principle because talk to people, meet people. You never know when you're going to connect with somebody that's going to give you an opportunity that will change your life. And I truly was blessed to be a part of uh, the team and lead the team that raised more money than ever in a primary primary presidential campaign of $61 million in 11 months. Um, Learned a lot, learned that uh, how dirty Washington is and how we need good people to step up and fix it. And that opportunity to have that on my CV or resume that I never would have had before to be in politics has opened a lot more opportunities. That opportunity then helped me meet one of my foreign brothers in YPO that is CEO of a company called LendingTree, which I helped him set up a nonprofit, uh, called, turned, with how to raise money for political candidates, turning it on, top, on their head, you know, called the North Carolina Impact Fund, which has opened other doors, which eventually I was an advisor uh, to the Trump campaign on the Super PAC. But all those things happening, it all came from, reading a book in, in high school, making a phone call, putting myself out there and, choose, and choosing just to be generous and loving. And that's how my story went. And you never thought that would happen. So when you step back and you're thinking about how do you do this, what I choose to do is take two weeks off. Not everybody can do that. Mine will start in February. I'm going to take two weeks off, and I'm literally not going to check the phone, but every three or four hours, I'm going to have everything taken care of so no one needs anything unless it's an absolute emergency. I'm going to read books. I'm going to pray. I'm going to meditate. I'm also going to take time after this next week to travel around and go see people, people I haven't seen with, people I know need to connect with, people that run uh, companies, listen to opportunities, write them all down, sift through them, find the opportunity I want to pursue next, and then pursue it with everything I have. And that's the, the thing that I hope is a framework that can be used for your listeners to think of how they would do that. Clear your mind talk to your connections, build a list, figure out what makes sense, vet it against the people that, you've, that, that you trust and respect, and then pursue whatever you choose with every passionate bone in your body.
0: And I'm sure during that process, you're gonna ask yourself, what would happen if?
1: There you go.
0: But I wanna make a point. Um, I wanna solidify a point in case it was not, heard by other people than me, like, and I mean heard by, that's why I wanna make a point, is that these things that you've done, when you're trying to meet and make connections, you are listening to opportunities, but above and beyond that, your overall principle and the way that you've operated things and what's worked for you and what will has worked for me and what can work for other people is, when you're talking to people, It's not about what they can do for you in the future. It's not about even if they can help you. You're helping them to help. And then these opportunities come. I think, like I said before, in a karmic circle, they come back to you because you're putting out help. And if you put out that help and you're doing it givingly and you're not looking for return, I think it just automatically comes back to you.
1: You're exactly right.
0: So the point I wanted to solidify in case I didn't just do it there was you, Dean Parker, didn't set out to do these things because you were looking for return. You did it because you genuinely wanted to help people and opportunity came from it. Correct. Exactly. And that's, I just want that to be clear because somebody as successful as you gained from that opportunity, but there was never anything that you were looking for it's just because who you are, you want to help and that help combined with your drive to succeed is basically what I would almost call your recipe for success.
1: And going what you say is I never give to get, I give with nothing in return. The blessings just have to come back to you.
0: Yes. Yes. and that's what, I think that's the point that I wanted to make sure that, that people understood. Um, that it's not a recipe of just going along with emotions to do to get, give to get. It's not about that. I don't do that. I know you don't do that. And I wanted to be clear about that. It's, it's, we give because there's a reward in giving. Uh, It provides happiness. It gives you purpose. It does all of these other wonderful things that I'm sure you're much better at articulating at because you're the motivational speaker. Um, I don't even play a motivational speaker on TV. Uh, I'm just me Uh, but through that selflessness opportunity is born. That's exactly right.
1: Again, you have not because you ask not seek to give. Another thing I tell people is when you're hurting, what's the first thing you do is you help somebody that else is hurting and you'll see you get repatriated emotionally for loving people and Treating them with their respect, and you got to think through those things as you take these steps in your life.
0: Well, that's why you're here because my response to that would be I couldn't have said it better, and there's a reason that I asked you to be on here to say exactly that because you do say it better.
1: Uh, you're the man. I always appreciate the chance to sit down with you. So, you know what I always do at the end of my interviews when I'm interviewing somebody is I always do a uh, quick five questions first thing that comes to your mind. So uh, do you want to pepper me with five questions at the end? Uh, and uh, first thing comes to my mind in, in what we call the uh, lightning round?
0: Yeah, I'd have to think of some. I mean, the first question that comes to my mind is, when are you going to come to Houston so I can take you to a Rockets game?
1: Uh, I'm going to put that on this year. I'm going to do it in 2019. It's on my calendar. Rockets game with David. Done. I just, I'm, I'm making a list of things to do this year. It's on my calendar. Done.
0: All right. Well, there's, there's one. Um, another question is, did you ever buy the orange Jeep that we both wanted?
1: Answers, I bought a white one and a gray one. I never got the orange. I was just talking to my kids about that the other day. I've never got the orange, and I'm going to get the orange one day. I've had a lot of vehicles. As you know, I have a love for automobiles. Uh, but no, I did never got the orange one. That is on my to-do list. They just came out with a new color this year for orange, so maybe this year.
0: Oh, they did. I'll have to look that one up. Uh, and just so everybody knows, there was, uh, I almost want to call it a marigold orange Jeep that we both liked. Four-door, yep. uh, I forget which trim model, but the one with the, the nice big wheels and the nice off-road package. Uh, yep. That just was stunning, and we both wanted it. And I thought for sure by now one of us would own that car.
1: Well, you know what? It's, it's too busy. We gotta, We're going to have to go back to that. <laughs>
0: Where do you plan to travel to next? You are always on the road. I mean, you are always on the road and you go to some great places. So where are you, what's on the docket?
1: I'm on a plane Sunday afternoon to Toronto to speak Monday night to um, 30 CEOs in Toronto for YPO International Young Presidents Organization.
0: All right, question number four would be, what is the one non-work-related fun activity that you're going to do to take time for yourself while in Toronto?
1: Oh, that's a hard one because I'm going to Harvard Business School because every year I go back for a week to uh, sharpen my skills with other CEOs. And I'm so far behind in my reading and my case study. I was going to spend my whole time reading. But I think I will go out Sunday night. I have a friend that I'm going to call. I'm going to have him tell me the one place I need to go Sunday night while I'm there. And I'm I'm speaking to a guy that owns a family office there. So I will do that while I'm there.
0: That counts. That counts. And lastly, I'll end with this. What do you do to charge, recharge your batteries? For me,
1: um, I like to play golf. Uh, that's a very become a very relaxing sport for me. Uh, I enjoy the thrill of doing something that's different than uh, mind-numbing watching TVs. I also enjoy going to the beach. Uh, there's something peaceful of sitting on the balcony or sitting uh, on the beach, listening to the water hit, and I happen to live in a beautiful area that's warm most of the time, as you know. Mm-hmm, uh, yeah. We have a couple beach homes in New Jersey and Orange Beach, Alabama, that we go. And I'd love to just go there, uh, relax, do nothing. Um, but the one principle I think I've learned more in life is you acquire all these things which require time and maintenance. Is The one thing I'm trying to get to is getting into, we always talk about building scale in business, but how do you build scale in your life so things are on auto control so you don't have to worry about everything? When I say worry, not as like you worry, but you know, like things always break, things happen, put everything in auto control so you can just enjoy the things you've worked so hard to achieve.
0: It is important to, to do that. We've, uh, since moving down to Houston, we've downsized, got rid of a lot of stuff. So we, we, we call it decluttering and uh, we are shedding those kind of assets. So we are more free to enjoy just this time together. Wonderful. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Dean, for your time. I'm hoping to coerce you into, uh, and I know I don't need to coerce you. If I ask, you will just do it, but uh, maybe another topic in the future.
1: Whatever you want, I am here to serve you, my friend. Appreciate (laughs) you having me here, and uh, thank you for the opportunity to speak to everybody today.
0: Great. Thanks, Dean.